Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. We are in uh, our last week today of a series, Living Your Faith, Living Your Faith Through the Book of Philippians. I had planned on being done last week and this being the first day of December. How many remember today's December 1st, right? So to me, we're officially now into the Christmas season. I know people have been playing Christmas music, you know, before Thanksgiving. And I said, no, wait till after Thanksgiving. So yes, now it's okay. You can play Christmas music. <laughs> uh, so we're officially in the Christmas season and I plan on starting a new series today. But as the Lord would have it, we're going to finish this uh, through Philippians today. So if you have your Bible um, or device, a way to get to scripture, you can go to Philippians chapter 4. We're just going to look at a passage from Philippians chapter 4 today that'll kind of summarize that chapter and we'll finish up today. Uh, if you don't have a device or you don't have your hardcover Bible, uh, you can always cheat off the person next to you and uh, I'm sure that'll be fine. If not, we'll put it up on the board and if you can't read it up on the board, then just trust that I'm reading from the scripture. Just trust me. I am reading from the scripture. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, um, if you've gotten anything out of this series. Uh, this is one of those series that I call it semi-exegetical. I don't know if that's a proper word or right word or not. I don't, I don't think it is, but uh, it's kind of like a verse-by-verse -verse study. We didn't go exactly verse-by-verse, -verse, but we really did a, a pretty good dive as much as we could on Sunday morning into this book of Philippians, this letter that Paul's epistle that he wrote to the church at Philippi to not only see the heart of Paul and what he's feeling as he wrote this letter, but also the heart of God. The Holy Spirit through Paul really gives us some clues, some keys, some principles on how to live out our faith because the just shall live by faith, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we, we live it out. It's not just a one-time thing. Uh, I know that there's several times where we'll have faith for something. We have faith for healing. We have faith for uh, uh, finances. We may have faith for deliverance or faith for... But you know what? God wants us to live out our faith. He, he doesn't want you to live from miracle to miracle. I love miracles. God is a miracle. He's a miracle worker. We have songs about miracles. And so I love all of that. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you read Ephesians chapter 4, we won't read it this morning, you'll see that when Paul writes his letter to uh, the church at Ephesus, he really emphasizes that God wants us to go forward on unto full stature, on unto perfection in him. And so he's given us these principles. Amen. So here we go. This is uh, our last one, eight messages in this series. <laughs> I know if you're like me, I'm ready to move on to something else. Amen. I love Philippians, but eight chapters, eight, eight messages, four chapters, I'm ready to move on. Uh, but we got to get this last one in. Amen. So here we go. So we're talking about living your faith through the book of Philippians. When we looked back at chapter one, we saw that chapter one talked about the philosophy of Christian living, the philosophy of Christian living. 
And it was really surmised in verse 21 when that verse said, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. I'll be fulfilling what he wants me to do. But guess what? If I can go on, if I can go on to be with him, uh, I don't have to deal with y'all anymore. <laughs> but not only that, I won't have any more sickness, disease, offenses, none of that. So it's gain. That's what he was saying. So it's a philosophy. As long as we're here, we have to live every day. Life is a gift on this earth. And we have to live every day as almost as if it's our last. All right? It's not that we don't plan for the future. But listen, uh, there is something to be said about carpe diem. <laughs> there is something to be said about seize the day in the Lord, what God would have us do. Let's do it. Let's get up and let's do it. Let's stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Get up off the couch and do it. Let's go and do what God wants us to do. So that's the philosophy of Christian living. For me to live is Christ. And then number two, chapter two, we talked about the pattern of Christian living. And that was surmised in verse five of chapter two when Paul said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So in other words, you have a way that you think it should be. I have a way that I think it should be. But when we come together, our mind has to be the mind of Christ. Because he has the way that it really should be. Come on, you have your thoughts, I have my thoughts, but his thoughts are higher. Come on, then, our thoughts. And that's where we get that. That's an impartation from God. It's not an imitation, come on, of everyone else. Because that's what we do. We love to imitate. We love to imitate. But this is an impartation from God. And in chapter 3, we really talked about the prize for Christian living. I press toward the mark. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I look, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forward to the things which are ahead, and I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling, for the upward call in Christ Jesus. And that's just not when we all get to heaven. That's why we're here on earth. Going on unto maturity while we're right here, we must press. There is something about the press. We must press in. And then now in chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. And uh, Paul really talks here about one word, rejoice, rejoice. And so I'm reading from the New King James Version, but looking at verse 4 of chapter 4, the Bible says this. It says, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Always. And then he emphasizes, again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. He says, think on these things. Meditate. Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. God of peace will be with you, verses 4 through 9. This, this really summarizes this whole chapter, what Paul is trying to say. 
What I'm trying to tell you, after all of that, after you've got the philosophy and you think about what is it that we're supposed to do? Why am I here? And you think about purpose and philosophy and then you look at the pattern. This is how I do it. I allow Christ's mind to be in me. I just don't go by my own thoughts and feelings. And then you look at, here is the pro here's what you get for that. You can go toward the upward call to be mature. He's saying now, guess what? Rejoice. Rejoice in all of it, no matter what comes your way, no matter what you see, no matter what the enemy brings your way, no matter what life brings your way, no matter what people may bring your way, no matter what you do to yourself. Come on, somebody, because I got myself in some messes, if I just would be honest with you. No matter what, in all of that, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Why? Because if we live out his word, no matter where you are, it doesn't matter. If we live out, if we speak his word and live out his word, we'll come out on top. I guarantee you. It's a promise of God. It's a promise of God. And he really gives us three main points in this passage. First, he tells us to rejoice. He emphasizes it. Rejoice. These are your keys to living out your faith. Paul is saying rejoice. And then he goes on to tell us, and guess what? What that means is don't worry. Stop worrying. We worry so much. We're anxious about so many things. Looking in the mirror, I'm telling you, we're anxious and we worry about so many things. And Paul is saying, stop being anxious. In fact, he's, what he's really telling us is do you look in the mirror and tell yourself, stop being anxious. Look at yourself and say, stop being anxious. Stop worrying. Get your emotions in check. Not that we are not emotional. God gave us emotions. I've said this before. They're for a purpose, of course. He doesn't give us something if he doesn't want us to use them. But we let them get out of control. That's the problem. I control them. They don't control me. That's where we got to get to. So stop worrying. And then he tells us, well, if I'm going to rejoice and I'm not going to worry, now here's what you need to meditate on. Here's what you need to meditate on. He tells us what to think. Think on these things. And he gives us a list of things to think on. Believers are to always rejoice, but to not worry, rather to pray. Keep our minds fixed on good thoughts. And as you do, listen, the promises you will experience God's peace, knowing, knowing that God will bless you generously and abundantly. I came that you might have life. I know what the enemy came for. I know what he came for, and I know you can complain because there's some, been some things that have been stolen from you. There have been some things in your life that were destroyed. But listen, I come that you might have life and that more, 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 more abundantly. Let me just give you a few things that we have to rejoice about. There, there's, there's no way we can begin to number the blessings. I know there's a song that says count your blessings, count them one by one, but if we actually did that, uh, we'd be here forever. Come on. Uh, but, but listen, there's no way we can begin to number the blessings that God has heaped upon those that believe in his son, those that live out his word. But here are a few spiritual blessings. Let me just give you a few that we should regularly recall and thank God for. This is what we need to rejoice in. Number one, we have eternal life and can never lose it. All right, we got it. Number two, we are one with Christ. He has called us to be with him. Jesus paid for every sin we have ever committed and ever will commit, by the way. The devil don't like it. He don't like that. 
But guess what? He paid for it already. Jesus paid it all. I think everything is in all. Come on. Everything is in all. God himself is our father. He's not a distant stepdad. Come on. He's not a caretaker. God is our father. And there is absolutely no condemnation for us in Christ. He comes to convict us, but not to condemn. I did not come to condemn, but to save the world. We are no longer slaves of sin under its dominion. Now, I know some people might say, well, I don't know why it keeps happening. Guess what? You're not a slave to it. You just need to realize it. Sometimes we just don't understand that we're free. God has taken us across a bridge and given us freedom. We're no longer slaves. Guess what? We're joint heirs with Christ, and we will share in his reward. That's your brother. That's my brother. Come on. We'll share in that same reward. We have a sympathetic high priest. In other words, he intercedes for us day and night. Why? Because he knows exactly what you're going through. We don't have a high priest that has not been touched by what we go through. He knows what you go through every day. He was here. He did it. And guess what? He overcame it. Come on. So he's sympathetic. He's sympathetic to us. He understands us. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. It empowers us. He comforts us and counsels us. What more do we need in life? Come on. Our God is our refuge. He is our strength in the time of trouble. He is our strong tower. Come on. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But guess what? We have unlimited access to the throne of grace. God is not a God where he's, you got to say, well, I want to make an appointment for Thursday. If I, if I can get in on Thursday, and if that's not good for you, maybe Sunday after church, because I know you're busy uh, with all the services going on all around the world. So Sunday after church, maybe I can get an appointment. No, we have unlimited access. You can go to God anytime, anywhere, and guess what? He is there. And nothing, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Not even you yourself. Come on, nothing will separate us from God's love. God is working all things for our good. Everything that you go through, he works, he has a way of working it for our good. Someday we'll be reunited. I know this comforts me with those loved ones that we lost, those who believed in Jesus. That's something to rejoice for. Come on, not to be sad about. The creator of the universe hears every prayer. Every prayer, no matter how soft you say it, Come on, no matter what it's about, he hears every prayer. And God, the, God has a purpose for us. The creator has a purpose for our lives, which guess what? He will certainly fulfill because God, remember we read this already. God works in you to will and to do. Come on, he'll fulfill his purpose. All you got to do is allow him to do it. God has prepared good works for us to walk in. The works are already there. Hmm, what should I do? What should I do with my life? Guess what? Pray. Pray. God already has a work prepared for you. Uh, if this isn't enough, I know this is quite a few. I'm just giving you a few of them. Listen, the angel of the Lord encamps around us 24-7. You have a ministering spirit. You have ministering spirits that are there to help you 24-7. God is in control of every detail of our lives. Some people don't like it, but I want to tell you something. If he left you in control, well, let's not talk about that. Come on, I know what would happen if he left me in control. I'm glad he's in control. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. You could turn your back on him. Somebody tried it. 
quite a few tried it. Peter tried it. But Jesus said, go tell the disciples and Peter, come on, that I am risen and that I love him. Even though he denied me, I already knew he was going to do it. But I still love him. Come on. And every bit of pain that we endure produces an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Everything that you go through, everything that you're able to endure, it produces a weight of glory. In other words, the glory that is before us, just like Jesus said, it doesn't compare. This suffering that we have now, it doesn't compare to that glory that is before us that we're reaching for. Come on. He is the one who watches over us, and he never sleeps nor slumbers. He's always on the job. He's always on the job. He never slips us slips up. Come on. God will make each one of us into the likeness of his son. That's what he's working on. He's working on when he sets up his construction site in your heart and in your spirit. He's working. He's throwing things out. He's putting things in. He's molding you. He's shaping you. You're on the potter's wheel. Come on. And he's, he's molding us into the likeness of his son. And God will reward every one of us for good deeds that we do. Now we don't do good deeds to get into heaven. But guess what? When it's all over, I shall wear a crown. Come on. <laughs> I shall wear a crown. God will supply every one of our needs. He has it. It's not like he, he he's never going to come to you and say, well, I would give it to you, but I ain't got it. God don't say that. God has it. He has it and he wants to give it, but he wants relationship with you. Come on. Someday Jesus will personally wipe away every tear from your eye every hurt that you've had, every offense, every time you thought it was one thing and it was something else, every time you fell short, every time somebody talked about you and it wasn't true, every time you have hurt, every time you've been sick, every time any of those things has happened that you've shed a tear for, Jesus will be there to wipe away every tear. And now it is okay. And someday we will gaze upon the glorious face of our Savior for all of eternity. We will know. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And we will be like him. Come on. That's just a few. That's just 27 of them. I mean, I don't know how many there could be. But I thought I'd just throw a few at you. So if you don't have any reasons to rejoice, I'll have Beth put that on a little card for you and uh, we'll put it out uh, at the beginning of the new year. And you can keep that with you. And you can look at about 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13, 14 of them. And, uh, you know, you don't want to look at all of them, but just look at a few of them every day and you'll have something to rejoice for. So Paul tells us to rejoice. There is reason to rejoice. I know you want to find a reason to be sad. I know that you want to look around and say it's a gloomy day. I know you lost a loved one. I know the job is not what you want. There's a lot of reasons what, that we can find to be sad, but God has given us every reason to rejoice because we are overcomers. We are overcomers. We are overcomers. So he first tells us to rejoice. The second thing he tells us is don't worry. Don't worry. Why do you keep worrying? Worry and anxiety and fear are three of the greatest enemies of a victorious life. And they're three of the greatest tools of your enemy. It really is. The, I mean, worry, anxiety, and fear. I mean, they'll, they'll get you every time. They'll get you every time. I came across this, this parable, this little story, and it says that death was walking down the street, and a man saw death and asked death, what are you going to do? 
Death said, well, I'm going to kill some people. I'm going to kill 10,000 people. That's what I got on my agenda for today. And the man said, well, that's horrible. Death said, well, that's the way it is. It, this is what I do. I'm death. And so the day passed. So the man went on. The day passed. And he was warning everyone he could of death's plan as if he could stop it. At the end of the day, he met death again. And he said, listen, you said you were going to kill 10,000 people. And yet 100,000 people died today. Death said, I only killed 10,000 people. I did what I was supposed to do. Worry and fear killed the others. Death only did what he was supposed to do. We kill ourselves sometimes with worry and fear. Worry is one of the biggest problems that we face in life. And it tends to get worse. I think as we get older sometimes, we just worry about things we know we shouldn't worry about. I mean, listen, worry, its, it's destruction is sure. I was reading an article from Charles Mayo, the Mayo Clinic, and, uh, in Rochester, Minnesota. And he said this, actually, research found that worry affects the circulation of the heart. The, I know that personally, of, of the glands, the whole nervous system, and profoundly affects the health. Worry does this. Corey Tinbloom knew the destructive force of worry when she said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Let me say that again. She said that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow but it empties today of its strength because you're worrying about something that's not even here yet. Its destruction starts like a little trickle through the mind and it cuts into a furrow, into a valley until it becomes a grand canyon. And then guess what? Everything else drains into it, drains into this big valley. And we worry, we worry. I mean, do you ever engage in the imaginary what if thinking? I know that's one of the things that, that I struggle with. You know, Eldon, what if, or what if that happens, or what if this? And all these 27 scenarios, and there's only going to be one scenario, and God already knows the scenario that it's going to be. Come on, he already knows what it's going to be. And so we must stop worrying. This is why God emphasizes to us in the Scripture to not worry, to stop worrying. There is no need for us to worry. Listen to Luke 12 to 26. Uh, 22 to 26 in chapter 12. This is a living Bible. Listen to how Jesus put that. He turned to his disciples and said, listen, he said, don't worry about whether you have enough food to eat, come on, or clothes to wear. For life consists of far more than food and clothes. Look at the ravens. They don't plant, they don't harvest, or have barns to store away their food, and yet they get along all right. God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. And besides, what's the use of worrying? What good will it do? This is Jesus talking. Will it add a single day to your life? What will it do? Of course not. And if worry can't even do such little things as that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Jesus said, don't worry. Another story I came across, a recently licensed pilot was flying in his private plane on a cloudy day. He was not very experienced in instrument landing. But when the control tower was to bring him in, he began to get panicky because it was, it was foggy and it was cloudy and, and he couldn't see. And a stern voice came over the radio from the tower, said, you obey the instructions, we'll take care of the obstructions. 
I believe God is saying that to someone this morning. Listen, you obey the instructions and I'll worry about the obstructions. But we have our focus on all the obstructions and it prevents us from obeying the instructions. God is saying, I've laid it out for you. Philippians uh, in chapter 4 here, back in verse 7, the Living Bible again, it says, If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can even understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Will guard your heart and mind. That's a beautiful thing. You Listen, you may not understand how beautiful peace and rest is, until you've been in turmoil. You go through some turmoil, you go through some trouble. Come on, a lot of us have been through it. Just whatever it might be in life. And now we understand how to appreciate peace. <laughs> I just, sometimes I just need some peace. I mean, I know things might not go away. I just need some peace. But guess what? God promises that. If we keep our mind on his word, speak his word, and live out his word, do what we say so we can see what we say. Come on. Do what we hear from God. So we can see what we say. If we would do that, he gives us peace. In the message translation, it says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, verse 7, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come. It'll settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's a beautiful thing. In the midst of it, not that the storm, the storm is still going on. People still doing crazy things. All of that's still happening. We praying, God, please stop it. Change this, change that. And guess what? God's saying, listen, I want to give you peace in the midst of all of this. When Jesus walked on water, the storm didn't stop. He didn't say he got out on the, on the water and everything stopped. No, the storm was still going on. Way, he walked right in the midst of all of that. And then Peter walked on it too. Come on. Don't worry. So he tells us, number one, rejoice. Number two, don't worry. Don't worry. And then lastly, he's telling us, think on these things. Think on these things. Why would Paul say that? You know, it's, it's interesting. He didn't say, do these things. So we know Peter did. Peter said, do these things. But Paul here emphasizes, think on these things. Why would he say that? Because Paul knew that, uh, why does he emphasize our thought life? Paul knew that, number one, it reveals who we really are. Your thought, you can do a lot of things. People can fool you, you know, with what they do and what they say sometimes. But they can't fool themselves with what they meditate on. You can't fool yourself. When you're by yourself and those things that you met, I'm not talking about random thoughts that come into your mind, but I'm talking about what you do with those thoughts becomes who you really are, reveals who you really are. Why? Because a person's thoughts establish their true identity and makes them who they really are. Listen, a person's words can fool you because we don't always know the true thoughts and motives behind those words. Person's actions can fool you because we don't always know the true thoughts and motives behind those actions. So it's not really our words or actions that determine our goodness, but the thoughts and motives behind them. And because we have God thoughts and God motives, we ought to then be doing those good actions. But good actions won't get us to the point of having God thoughts and God motives. Paul, Paul said, you got to have this first. First, think on these things. 
We know Proverbs 23, 6 and 7. It's talking really, if I go back to verse 6, we, we know as a man thinketh so is he. But let me give it to you in another version. Back in verse 6 it says, Don't eat the food of a stingy person or desire his delicacies. For he, as he thinks within himself, so is he. He thinks, eat, drink, and he says to you, but his heart is not really with you. It's something to know the heart of a person. To know the heart of a person. And then it's something else to look in the mirror and begin to understand your own heart. Why did I do that? Why did I say that thing? Why did I react that way? Probably because we aren't thinking, meditating, on these things. And so for us, instead of looking at someone else and saying, yeah, I'm not going to trust you because I don't know what, what's in your heart, why don't we look in the mirror? Why don't we look in the mirror? Can I trust you? I know what's in your heart. Because that's the only person we can change. It's up to God to change everybody else. Come on. This warning in Proverbs underscores the fact that our thoughts eventually set us on a path to our destiny. Simply because it's our thoughts more so than our actions that God deals with. What are you thinking about? What are you meditating on? Since the fall of man in Eden, human in Eden, man's carnal mind drove him further and further away from God until finally, you remember in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, God saw the wickedness. Now watch what he says here. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every single, he didn't say every single action of man was bad. He didn't, doesn't say that. It says every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He destroyed the earth because of the thoughts of man's heart, not because of the actions. Doesn't that say something to you? That's the importance that Paul is putting on, think on these things. God destroyed the world because of evil thoughts, carnal mind, evil imagination. Doesn't mention the actions here. Therefore, if we're to be mature children of God, we must retrain our minds to think like God thinks. We must go back to what Paul said. Let this mind be in you in chapter 2, verse 5, that is also in Christ Jesus. Don't live with a carnal mind. God wants us to have his thoughts and his priorities. Jesus encountered hypocrisy from people among the Jews. He said it this way. He said, this people draws near to me with their mouth, with their mouth, but their heart, their heart, their soul, their thought life is far from me. Listen, our thought life makes us who we really are. Your car if you think carnal thoughts, you'll become carnal. You think defeated thoughts, you will become defeated. Come on. You think overcoming thoughts, you will eventually overcome, stay the course. If you think about grace, the grace that God has shown you, you will give more grace to others. Come on. When you align your thoughts with God's thoughts, those innate thoughts infiltrate your mind. It's the manifestation of God's word in us. In us. I was reading a book by Tommy Newberry called The 4-8 Principle. And in there he says that mental discipline is the ability, now watch this, to keep your thoughts consistently focused, consistently focused. You see, it's not just thinking that is our, our problem. It's not even the ability to focus, really, that's our problem. 
It's the ability to continually focus. I can focus for a little while, but the ability to stay focused, stay focused, it's our issue. It's our issue. And so it reveals who we really are. And then secondly, it shapes our self-image. Our thoughts shape our self-image. Paul encourages us to think on these eight things. Why? Because it re reveals our self-image. Our self-image is essential to who we really are because we almost always act consistently with the internal image that we have of ourselves. It's true. It is impossible to think of yourself as a mouse and act like a lion. You can't do that. If you think of yourself as a mouse, that's how you're going to act. Remember this. Tomorrow is the result of today's thoughts. Today is the result of yesterday's thoughts. And so when we look at these four chapters of the book of Philippians, we can have some principles, we can have some applications when Paul wrote to this church at Philippi. Here are some things that we need to remember. Remember this in your heart. God will never love you more or love you less than he does right now. No matter what you did, no matter what you're thinking about, no matter what you're going through, God will never love you more or less than he does right now. He has love for you. Come on. Remember this. Being a member of a church does not make you a Christian any more than walking into a garage makes you a car. This is about our relationship. I mean, I love, I was so happy to be back this morning after the week I had. And I'm, I'm not the only, I know all of us have had weeks. I just happen to have the mic right now. So, but I know all of us can testify. Uh, but after the week I had uh, last week and the last couple of weeks, this year, <laughs> you know, with the enemy, uh, you know, I, I, was just I was just happy to be in the house this morning, uh, no matter what happened. Uh, and we came in and found out that the electricity had been off, the power had been off, and the network was, uh, all this kind of stuff. I just happy to be here. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here in your presence, Lord, with other, uh, you know, believers, other Christians. I'm just happy to be here. And so I love church. I love being in church, but I want to tell you something. It's not about service. This is great. You know, we have service a couple hours, hour and a half, whatever it may be, three hours, I don't know, whatever church you come from. Uh, but, it, you know, it's not about service. This is about our relationship with God. That's what he's pushing us toward. It's pushing us toward a relationship with him. I want to encourage you to, if you don't have a time of devotion, and maybe, it, you know, I would suggest every day if you can. Um, if you can't do it every day, two, three, four times a week, whatever you can do, put some time aside purposefully. Don't just say, oh, I'll do that, because you know how that is. When you say that, it will never happen. Purposefully find some time, whatever it is, a half an hour, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, and spend some time with God praying, read a scripture, get you a devotional book that you can write in. Spend some time with God. Spend some time with him. Jesus paid a debt. Remember this. He didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Couple more things. Believe, believing in Christ cancels the debt we owe God for our sins and gives us a re right relationship with him and eternal life in heaven. Just remember, it's not about your acts. We do acts, but we do acts because we have a relationship with God. We don't do acts to get into, uh, you know, favor of God. All, you, all God is asking you to do is believe in him. Believe in me. 
believe in me I was so happy I had a conversation with my mother in the last couple months and she, she just reassured I knew uh, where she was going already but she just reassured me that uh, I, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt I am saved her words not mine was reassured that's what it's all about and quit trying to earn God's favor by good works and remember this your time of devotion thank Jesus that he loved you enough to die for you don't ever forget that I mean we can, I do we, we can take it for granted I mean it's been a long time I forget stuff somebody did something for me probably last week I forgot about it this was 2,000 years ago it's easy to forget about but just remind yourself, remind yourself to thank him every day that he loved you enough to die for you. And then I would encourage you to put your faith in him. Don't put your faith in man. Put your faith in Jesus.